The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has recently issued revisions to the Stark regulations that tighten the prohibition on physician referrals and the anti-markup rules. How will these new rules impact your medical practice? You are listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host, and my guest today is attorney Neil Goldstein, partner with the law firm Safarth Shaw, and we're going to discuss the practical impact these changes may have on one's medical practice. Mr. Goldstein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Good to be here. Neil, can you tell me exactly what the anti-markup rules are? Sure. It's a, a rule that is contained in the Medicare statute, and it relates to the physician fee schedule and what physicians can bill for diagnostic tests. And the concept is that if a physician purchases a diagnostic test, and what Mm -hmm. we mean by diagnostic test is it could be an MRI, it could be a um, pathology uh, lab. If that is purchased, then you cannot bill it to Medicare at a profit. That's kind of putting it in its most simplest form. And so what's caused a lot of confusion over the years is when is a physician deemed to be purchasing the test? And in particular, there's language in the statute and in the rules which indicates that if you have these diagnostic tests that are done within your medical practice, it still could be deemed that you're, quote, purchasing these tests. And so what these anti-markup rules are aiming to do is to address the situation of when it's deemed that you're purchasing the test and when it's not deemed to be that you're purchasing the test. When you're deemed to purchase the test, that's when the anti-markup rules apply. All right, so translate that from legalese into layman's language. For example, if I do own an MRI machine, what can I and can I not do with Medicare patients? If you own an MRI machine and if you've not satisfied these new rules, you cannot bill Medicare for either the technical component or the professional component at an amount greater than your actual out-of-pocket cost for the radiologist, okay? Okay. So w- what that means, if you really take it to its ultimate logical conclusion, what that means is that you would have to bill Medicare at a loss because the only thing that you'd be able to bill them for would be what you're paying the radiologist to interpret the test. Well, what about the component that the technical component that just pays for the actual test itself, not the interpretation? Because of a quirk in the statute and in the rules, they do not deem the technical component really to be separate from the radiologist. In other mm-hmm. words, they look at the term that they use is outside supplier. Whatever you pay an outside supplier, you have to bill Medicare for that cost. So if you were to buy that test from a freestanding imaging center and it cost you, say, you know, $800 for both the professional and the technical, you could only bill Medicare, and I'm, I'm kind of simplifying it, but you could only bill Medicare that $800. If you have that imaging in-house, you could, because of a quirk in the rules, they treat the outside supplier, they treat the radiologist as the outside supplier. Mm-hmm. So you'd only be able to bill basically what you pay the radiologist for both the professional and the technical. So it sounds like they're trying to prevent, obviously, doctors from ordering unnecessary tests and marking it up and, and passing through some costs to Medicare. So has it been enforced yet? The uh, rules go into, they were published on October 30th. The final rules were, they're going to be published in the Federal Register, I think, sometime in mid-November, November 17th or 19th. They're going to be effective January 1 of 09. There are certain components of anti-markup that already are in place. Whether or not they're enforcing those aspects, I would say that they are because there have been some litiga- there's been some litigation on it. So they will be enforcing it, and I would suggest that they're going to ramp up their enforcement, 
now that they've come up with the final rules that are going into effect January 1. All right. So have you been uh, advising your clients to do something different? How, how is this going to play out with, with physicians in private practice? How about an example, a real-life example? Well, before I go into the example, I have to tell you what the final rules say. What I've been telling you thus far is sort of the history of it and the concept and, you know, the legalese, admittedly. But now I have to tell you what the final rules are saying. And what the final rules are saying is that if you are a physician and you have diagnostic testing in your practice, and so we'll use pathology as an example, you know, clinical pathology, laboratory, and we'll use MRI as an example. If you have that, you can't mark up unless you meet one of two tests. So they give you literally an alternative one and an alternative two. And I'm only going to talk about MRI because that's the easiest example to give you right now. So to satisfy alternative one, in order to continue to have MRI and to bill at a markup, you have to, the radiologist who is both performing the test and is supervising the test has to work at least 75% of his time, 75% of his professional services have to be provided for that medical practice. That's alternative one, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Alternative two is a option that is not really practical and doesn't really warrant a lot of analysis. And in my opinion, CMS more or less said as much in the commentary to the regulations when they tried to address certain questions people had when Alternative 2 was proposed, they basically answered it in the final rules by saying, okay, maybe that's an ambiguity in Alternative 2. We're not going to address it here because we gave you Alternative 1. They view Alternative 1 as a, as a very physician-friendly kind of alternative. Real quickly, what Alternative 2 says is that it, it goes more to the site of service, and it basically says that the only time that you could mark up is when the test is done in the office of the physician who ordered the test. And I won't go into too much detail about that, but if you think about a physician practice that has multiple offices, but maybe MRI in only one of those offices, it, practically it isn't going to work. And I think CMS acknowledges that. So everybody, in my opinion, has to work with an alternative one. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. I'm talking today with attorney Neil Goldstein, partner with the law firm Safarth Shaw. And we're talking about the revisions to Stark regulations, which tighten the anti-markup rules and uh, have new prohibitions on physician referrals. Neil, so tell me how it's going to play out in private practice. Who is going to really get hurt the most? Well, the people that will get hurt the most are the ones who are going to dismiss it. And, and there, you definitely hear that from people that it doesn't make sense. We're not going to pay homage to it. It doesn't. So they're going to blow it off until they get until they get caught. Exactly. Okay. So those are so it's going to hurt those people. But the, it's going to hurt, in my opinion, smaller practices that want to have ancillary services like lab and like MRI because they don't have the kind of volume to be able to afford to have a full-time pathologist and and or a full-time radiologist. The larger practices will and so, you know, they'll have the volume so they'll be able to afford it. So if I if I'm a small practice and I have my own lab and I have Medicare patients, are you saying that I can no longer use my lab or I can't make I can't charge a profit, I'll just get what Medicare pays me. But that, that hasn't changed because they're already just paying what they're paying. Well, but they're paying the fee schedule amount, okay? Under anti-markup, you'd have, actually have to charge them probably well below what the fee schedule amount is. And in fact, you would have to bill Medicare at a, at a loss, at a direct loss for every lab that you do. And I'm talking mainly pathology, anatomic pathology kind of lab. I'd have to look a little deeper into it. I'm not sure about just general labs for like blood draws and everything like that, but definitely with anatomic pathology. So the practical effect is if you're a urology practice, let's just say, and you have the kind of pathology lab that does not meet within the anti-markup rules, what you're, gonna, you're not going to bill Medicare. You're not going to do Medicare because it's just it's going to be cost prohibitive because you'll have to do it at a loss. 
actually only be able to do it with a private pay patient. Right. So historically, when government tries to close loopholes and improve things, they usually make things worse. So what do you see as the doctor's response and how this is going to actually worsen the problem and not really help anything? Well, I kind of take a different view of it. When I read it, I actually was kind of thankful that they, they came out with Alternative 1 because it was very straightforward, cut and dry, and it actually had some logic to it, maybe logic that people disagree with, but at least it, it was consistent with what Medicare policy is. And what their policy is, they're saying, look, if we're going to let you physicians profit off of passive activities, okay, and passive activities meaning referral to a, quote, designated health service like MRI, like pathology, et cetera. If we're going to allow you to do that, there has to be something in it for the patient, and it also has to respect the Medicare program. The language that they use is it can't abuse the program, it can't abuse the patient. What they're really saying is, is something different. It's got to respect the program, and it's got to, there's something beneficial for the patient. So in this instance, what they're saying here is that we don't want you to take your, and we'll use imaging as an example, we don't want 25 different radiologists reading your MRIs. That's not good quality because you know, different radiologists have different training, different expertise. The more uniform that you could make this, the better quality there's going to be. And what we would like even better, Medicare speaking now, is rather than you having some kind of a tenuous relationship, you know, an independent contractor arrangement where all you do is send labs out or send MRIs out and you get a report coming back, we want it to be a stronger relationship. And that's where the 75% comes in. If you have a pathologist or radiologist who's doing 75% of his work for medical practice, he's really part of that medical practice. And being part of that medical practice actually means collaboration, you know, clinical protocols, things like that, that will benefit the patient and ultimately will benefit the Medicare program because it's a more efficient and a more effective way of delivering these kinds of services. Okay, so now I'm, I'm giving you the philosophical bent of it. Now I'm going to tell you the business side of why, personally, I think it's a good thing for the large group practices. And, and what that is is that if you have a radiologist who's your exclusive radiologist or your exclusive pathologist, in addition to being able to control quality, it's also going to be more profitable for you because it's going to cost you less to bring something in-house versus to outsource it, at least in the healthcare industry. So personally, in my opinion, and I, I tend to re represent larger group practices, I kind of breathe a sigh of relief and, and I was able to say to them, I've been kind of pushing you in that direction anyway because it makes good business sense. Why is Pete Stark so angry? Did he not get into medical school? <laughs> You know, there's a, uh, <laughs> there was a story that Pete Stark used to sell insurance to doctors, and they used to make him sit in, in the waiting, waiting room for two, three hours, and uh, <laughs> because of that, he wanted to get even with them. The truth is that Pete Stark, before he became a congressman from California, was a banker, so I don't think that that story is true. The funny thing is that Stark, Pete Stark himself, he does get involved in health care issues. He's on the uh, health subcommittee of the House, I think it's the Ways and Means Committee, but in terms of the Stark statute, you know, his main involvement was back in 1989 when it was enacted, he doesn't, the regulations themselves are issued by CMS, so he doesn't or shouldn't, I don't think, have any direct involvement. So basically, his name is attached to it. He's gotten a lot of notoriety for it, but he's not really the driving force behind this. The driving force behind it is whoever is the administrator of, of CMS and who, whoever happens to be in that particular division that promulgates these regulations. Well, you mentioned administrator. We now have a new chief administrator, President-elect Obama. How do you think his administration will have, well, do you think there'll be any effect on Stark Law or will it just continue as it is? I think it will change. And the reason it'll change is because with a new presidential administration, these agencies themselves, typically the, the heads of these administrations change. 
So I think that you are going to see some change. What that change is going to be is anybody's guess. And the reason, you know, there's sort of this preconceived notion that a Democrat is going to want to socialize medicine, so that's not going to be good for physicians, and so it's not going to be good for physicians. You know, you could debate that one way or another. The thing I can tell you with certainty is that it's uncertain, it's unknown. And why can I say that? If you look at the uh, eight years that George Bush has been in office, starting from January of 01 through January of 09, so he's a Republican, and you would think that a Republican administration would be more friendly to physicians. I will tell you unequivocally that these eight years have been very, if you look at the regulations, very unfriendly to physicians who want to be in ancillary services. So you would think with the Bush administration it would be the contrary. It isn't. They, it, some of the regulations, and especially the regulations that have come out in the last couple of years, it's almost like they have physicians in their crosshair. I don't think that has anything to do with George Bush, and, and I, I just doubt that President-elect Obama is going to have that much of an impact on that philosophical bent. Well, Neil Goldstein, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. My guest was Neil Goldstein, attorney and partner with the law firm Safe Earth Shaw, and we were discussing revisions to Stark regulations, which now tighten anti-markup rules and new prohibitions on physician referrals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can call us toll-free with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM160. And thanks for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. 